Hey, Marcus. Yes. Do you like movies? Yes, I do. Hey, uh, Charles, do you like movies? Of course. <laughs> well, that's that's a good thing. This is Zebras in America podcast, a uh, podcast about film, episode 140. And for this monumental episode, we have one of our favorite directors, and we have a delightful guest. Marcus, would you like to introduce who we have today? Yes. Uh, we have filmmaking great icon legend uh, i don't mean to blow too much smoke but you know it, it is what it blow is Blow all um, the smoke yeah <laughs> a, a legend of film uh he's been since what 1969 uh so for decades he's a uh, an important uh filmmaker in the la film scene and the american independent film scene in the the realm of art house film uh a lot of folks know him for his film killer of sheep uh, a lot of folks know him for his films, uh, My Brother's Wedding, um, To Sleep With Anger, The Glass Shield, um, Mr. Charles Burnett. Hello. Hello. Oh, am I supposed to say something? Oh. No, just, just yeah, hello. if you feel like it. Oh, oh I'm sorry, because I'm doing a date. Yes, hi, thank you, and, and hello. I'm sorry. No, 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 no sorry needed. This this, okay. this is great. It's going to be great talking to you. No sorry. Yeah, it's... I just want to say it's such an honor to have you, and uh, uh, we're here to celebrate the 30th anniversary of To Sleep With Anger. That's that's amazing that this movie is 30 years old, but still so present. And, has, that. Yeah. and has found this like new audience thanks to its like its re-release and it, you know it, it appearing you know on diff- on various streaming channels now. So it's kind of like it, it's like. It's a new movie to so many people. Are are you are you aware of that? Like it, it it's it's rediscovery over the last uh, couple of years. Uh, no, I'm I'm not quite aware of that. But I knew that there was, uh, uh, you know, it, it's been re released. But I didn't know how popular it was. You know, because when it first came out, it had a very small audience. And uh, right, it, uh, it's it's funny because off off record, you know, the other day I was telling you. I, I always felt lucky. I was of the, the, the lucky generation of when, you know, this this played on television. My dad made a point, you know, that everyone in the house, like, stop what they were doing, sit down and watch this movie. Um, and then I guess, well, if you're not aware, I guess, you know, when the resurgence of Killer of Sheep, you know, came about and then that got released and then it got released with a bunch of your shorts along with this whole other film, you know, My Brother's Wedding, younger folks were like, Oh, this Charles Burnett guy. What, what else has he done? And then I think that kind of started this resurgence of like a new fit mm-hmm. fan base. Because I mean, within the realm of academia, all my friends who went to film school, like they all st- studied your work, you know. And then right. in the early two thousands, when David Gordon Green's film George Washington came out, it was so similar to Killer Sheep, like specific shots, everything. And then so it seems like each era there was this new group of folks who were just like. Oh, I need to find as many Charles Burnett films as I can, and I think to sleep with anger uh, has definitely become that. It's definitely a lot of just like internet fandom and just people kind of pressing for this to get like a proper release. So that's so that's kind of how. So so if yeah. you're unaware, it, it's been you know on folks' radar for so long, and now so many people, like I said before, a whole new audience has seen it. Good. So. Yeah, uh, Mr. Burnett, how would how would you describe uh, "To Sleep with Anger"? Um, 
it's a simple story that uh, it, there's a folkloric element superimposed on it. And uh, it's a story about, you know, a family uh, in a uh, South Central area, uh, a family that's, uh, uh, that originally came from the South, and the father and the mother were, were truly Southerners in many respects. And since mm. that, you know, they had all the, the you know, the Southern values and, and, you know, the religious uh, concerns and things like that, and trying to raise a family uh, and teach the kids the right thing. And, and also, they try to re- uh, have them remember where they came from, how important, mm. uh, yeah. you know, Southern values are and things like that. And then with that, you know, the, this sort of mythicism imposed on them, you know, this, oh, this folklore uh, uh, element of uh, a Georgia folktale uh, called mm. Harry Man. And so I, I did this, you know, really simple story, uh, this basic story with uh, this element imposed on it. Yeah, I I was I found about out about this movie a few years ago when a dear friend of mine, filmmaker, film teacher, actor, M. Tume Gant, said, you know, this movie is playing at BAM, Brooklyn Academy of Music. You must see it. I think you're gonna love it. And we watched back when we could go see movies in theaters, and my mouth was agape the entire time because you know, as you said, the the conceit is is you know a visit from a childhood friend to the patriarch of Southern expats living in the suburbs of South Central California changes a family and it brings about questions of you know cultural assimil- assimilation versus pluralism. And I was me and my friend after the movie we walked all the way from downtown Brooklyn to Sunset Park and back just oh. t- talking about the movie because I was so profoundly moved by it. And that, and then Marcus and I recorded an episode of this podcast immediately after, and I've been screaming your praises, yeah. especially this film and how profoundly it moved me. And so thank you so much for spending time to talk to us about it today. Oh, my pleasure. Thanks for going to see it and telling your friends about it. <laughs> <laughs> I wanted, you know, I, I had a, I, you know, I was going over your, you know, your the order of your filmography, and for the longest time, I felt like this was, and I mean, it was, it was the follow up uh, as far as like features go to like my brother's wedding. I always felt like to sleep with anger was like an unofficial sequel or just like a natural extension of my brother's wedding, just from like the homes, the neighborhood even act like you know you got i mean Cy richardson is kind of that connective tissue you know bet- between the films am i off base in thinking that like the the same people the same characters in to sleep with anger may have like existed within the same world as like my brother's wedding was there some kind of okay. influence yes. there or yeah actually um i i didn't quite finish uh my brother's wedding mm-hmm. um there's a lot of similarities a lot of themes the same the family came from the both families came from the same place, more or less. They're like bourgeois to some extent, you know. Um, one owns a, a, a cleaners and uh, tried to steal, and and their two sons. One is an accomplished lawyer, and he's going to marry this middle class girl. And his brother Pierce, who sort of romanticizes the, the poor, uh, and uh, and dislikes uh, 
this middle class girl for obvious reasons, and you know they had this this notion, you know, the division between poor and middle class and things like that was a big issue when that was coming up, you know, and yeah. uh, so I wanted to talk about those things. And the other thing was that Pierce is sort of was saved in a sense by by having very strong religious parents, and his and he's supposed to be. Uh, a, brother, a brother's keeper to a soldier, his best friend, who right. gets mm. in trouble. And and the, one of the ideas behind it was that in order to be a brother's keeper, you have to be responsible. That takes principle and uh, and, and and maturity. And Pierce, he's a good person at heart, but he, he's not equipped to do that. You know, sure. The thing that saves him is, is, is this, that he deals with his grandparents. You know, And if it wasn't for them... Uh, reading the Bible with him, he would have probably been out with soldier and and and, and in a car wreck where a soldier is killed, um, and so his his good fortune comes from having um, not only made, making the right choices, but having you know a, a family that had like his grandparents, you know, who were very careful and watching over him and things like that, and making sure that he upheld a lot of those religious values that they grew up with. And that's the thing that saved him. And it, and it, it was sort of a, uh, uh, it, it was sort of an exaggeration of young, young people, particularly Pierce and Soldier, who didn't do much with their lives, you know, and Soldier particularly, who didn't have the foundation like Pierce did and had, uh, you know, the right people in his life. Soldier was a good person, but it, you know, but he was just uncontrollable in many ways, you know, and sure. uh, and, and so, but 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 there was a lot of similarities, and uh, but we never quite finished the film because um, I got started and one of the characters in the film disappeared and I had to to uh, turn the film in uh, early than I wanted to. Mm-hmm. Um, because of the, of the delays, it was it was produced by uh, got the funding from German t- television, and they already set up a, a screening time, you know, a schedule, and so I felt obligated to to, to finish the film with what I had. You know, the rough cut it's a rough cut, a rough cut basically. And if I had more time, I would, have, you know, and I always wanted to go back and reshoot a lot of stuff. But after years and years of it in the can, you know, you, you just don't. Have the opportunity or the material anymore. So, but there's so a lot. You, I'm sorry, go ahead. No, no, I, I was just so. Was any of that when you got into To Sleep with Anger? Were there certain, like, were you able to close or, or, or finish anything in, in, in a way that, like, you weren't able to complete with My Brother's Wedding? Since the films are kind of very similar, did you carry anything that was unfinished from that into To Sleep with Anger? No, I started a little bit again. Um, oh, okay, okay. Yeah. Well. Mm-hmm. Yeah, in fact, I wanted to sleep in anger to be like uh, most of my films, very long in a sense that you know they they you know there's like a, there were like three parts to both of them, both of them basically. I mean, yeah, sure. My brother's wedding can kill or shoot, um, but um, you know, I never had a chance to uh, to, and, to to finish them. Yeah, because to sleep with anger is it very much like a feels like a finished almost epic story and you know it it does have 
a beginning, middle, and end, and all these archetypes, as you said, because you have Gideon and his wife, you know, living in South Central, and then trying to figure out wh what to keep and what to take of their old traditions when Harry, played beautifully by Danny Glover, shows up, and then there's, like, the, you know, Paul's two sons, who Junior and uh, Babe have have some very how i feel you know biblical sort of leanings and they're also family versus modernity and all of that and then there's all these other um colors and stories that put this together to see how the importance of family and and what we take and what we don't take when moving into the future and modernity and even though the movie is only about 110 minutes, you feel like you've lived an entire life with these with this family. Oh, absolutely. <clears throat> yeah. Well, I think I mean, well, like Scott was saying, I think that's just like a testament to like the movie's completedness. Although, I, I mean, I didn't know that about my brother's wedding, but I, you know. I think, you know, also just the whole, even just it being bookmarked by the trumpet playing child, you know, from beginning mm -hmm. and throughout the movie and at the very end, it, it definitely feels like a very, you know, a very complete, you know, so, so I assume you, 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 you were satisfied, you were much, much more satisfied with, with a, how to sleep with anger came out. Yes. I was very, yeah. I was very happy with uh, the results, but not the distribution of it, as you can tell. <laughs> ah. Yeah. yeah. Oh, that was the biggest problem. Biggest frustrating part of it. Yeah. I I was doing some research for this this um this episode and I I read that you said in in um in an interview many years ago that it seems that the object of all films should be to generate a sense of fraternity, community. However, for an independent filmmaker, that is the same thing as swimming against a raging current. Well, I don't know. I mean, I think, you see, I grew up in a, in a community. Like, everyone was from the South. Uh, there was anyone hardly that I knew of that was born in California. You know, it was rare to, to find, at least in my generation, uh, and the kids I went to school with who were born in California. I mean, they're sure there were people born there, but it was, you know, it was sort of rare in a sense. So uh, it, was, it was a novelty. Um, and, and, and so, uh, but one of the things that I, 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 I had did experience was the fact that the people that I grew up in and the neighbors were really wonderful people and they were very principled and, 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 and believed in a lot of strange superstitions and things like that, which I rejected at a very early age, you know, because I was so, um, country in many ways. And we had this, this sort of, we had this, um, this notion that anything from the South was was something made fun of, basically. You know? uh, we used to call kids who were in the South, you know, pick cotton and all this kind of stuff. You know, because, uh, <laughs> that's that's uh, I'm 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 the product of a dad from New York City and a mother from South Carolina, like backwoods uh, South Carolina, uh -huh. like like deep uh -huh. South. And he was he would you know country rock skipping. My dad would always tease my mom like that. 
and you saying that reminds me of just stuff like I grew up and and I grew up in Massachusetts, so there's just a lot of stuff that I learned from my mom. Just things like I remember, like don't put the hat on the bed. Oh yeah, like like all, and I was like, what what is that even about? And, but I, you know, I have to go back. But like to sleep with anger has all of that, like mm-hmm. in it. it. It's such a like. Yeah, like yeah. I, I see not so much my dad, but I see my mom's side of the family yeah. in that film so much, and that's a and that's a great point. If you want to kind of reiterate that, how like certain communities, like of 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 a certain generation, a lot of folks weren't born in California; they kind of migrated from from the south. Mm-hmm. Is that kind of like yeah. how, how your family was? Yes. Uh-huh. Yeah. But yeah. I mean, it was something that um, we had this sort of strange um, ambivalence about being from the south. You know, oh, I'm right. sorry. We broke up a bit. Could you say that again? No, you know, living in Los Angeles at that time, and from you know people who were from the south, even though they were from the south, uh, they had this ambivalence, this kind of like built-in shame in a certain way. You know, uh, no one wanted to admit that they were from the country. Uh, we all, you know, mm-hmm. we always say we're from the city, and, and or that they even experienced speaking cotton or anything. You know. Um, but, uh, but but that was it, and I, you know, uh, I think there's always been a pattern when you find someone who's like, I guess the word would be backwards from a country, you make fun of them or something. They seem not quite as sophisticated, or whatever, you know. Sure. And uh, and kids, right? You know, and, and that's yeah. Mm, sorry. No, I was gonna say, and kids usually milk that and take advantage of it, you know. And it's a way of, I guess. You know, like hurting someone or, or uh, you know, playing the dozens and making them feel bad or whatever it is. But, but that was, you know, like one of the words, you know, in um, uh, The Sleep of Ang- No, no, it was in Killer Sheep where the young boy comes out, uh, Stan's son, and he asks his mother, can he go uh, to the show or someplace? And he calls him Mutt Deer, you know. Oh, and, yeah, that, yeah, 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 yeah. And my mother would never allow me to call her that or anyone or grandmother. It was like, no, no, that's that is really from the south, you know, the country. So, so there were certain things that we we didn't do or say, but but we had, or we used to raise chickens, pigeons, uh, uh, turkeys, all these sorts of things in my backyard, you know, and. Uh, and, well, well, most of the people in the neighborhood had all those animals, you know, and but you can't do it now, you know. It, it's it's the people used to raise them for food. We, we we had a guide and things like that. We used to have chickens and roosters. And yeah. Things. And as kids, we used to have chicken fights all the time. You know, go oh, you know get these big little light and reds and go different different backyards and things and throw our chicken over the fence and then the rooster over the fence and watch them fight. You know, and and, and get chased home and. It's all these crazy things that we, we used to do. That was a part of growing up, you know. And, uh, yeah. Um, and it's also very interesting because there the world is very circular. So things that we might have called country or old-fashioned or something are things that are popular again now. You know, you, you have people that have chickens in their backyards or people seeing that in, the, in a rush to be modern, they lost some of the beauty of earlier cultures and something that I find um, truly, truly profound about to sleep with anger is that I, I come from an Eastern European 
Jewish background. My family came to New York in the early 1900s to escape persecution. And I was, I found the story of To Sleep With Anger completely relatable, even though my experience and my family obviously was a very different experience, but the that sort of you're too modern or you're not modern enough or the you know superstitions you know we we would put our you know if someone was saying something that we were scared of you would put your thumb through your fingers and shake <laughs> and you would say oh, you're going to give me a kanahara and <laughs> the you know that one of the parts of the movie is the one of the characters is looking for his toby yeah and and I was like, oh, I, I understand that because my my grandpa had like a little amulet that he carried around in his pocket his entire life. And I carry that. I have that amulet on like talisman or some, talisman. Yeah. I have that in on my little I have a little area that I dedicate to my ancestors and it's there. And I think about, you know, uh, how you don't do things with the shoes or how if I or we would throw salt over our shoulder and uh, pouring pouring a little liquor out for people who've passed away that even though your experience is very much your experience and I'm not saying that my experience is the same but that I was able to understand and feel this world because I because I it is a concept that is very much going on in many worlds and many cultures that are trying to understand what it is to be in the world today. I think people who live in somewhat non-industrialized societies have a similar sort of view of life or experience. Uh, I mean, my thing was, uh, I, I grew up in a community where all these old ways were always, you always run up against these old or habits and things, and, and for young kids, you know, they're, they're kind of like embarrassing to some extent, you know. Um, like there were certain people that my grandmother didn't want around the house or in the house, and they always thought they were, had some sort of bad karma or, or, or something evil about them, you know. And, uh, and as a kid, you always wonder, like, what do they see that I don't see, you know, whatever. Sure. You know? So... And there was always this mystery, mystical element about life and people, and uh, and so I rejected a lot of that stuff. And then a lot of friends of mine did the same thing, and uh, and so a lot of us sort of came back to uh, these old beliefs and started kind of like being more sympathetic and understanding to some extent and hedging our bet and said, well, maybe there's something in 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 this, you know, uh, hmm. that we really have to. You know, not made fun of, but really considered. You know, because some of these stories people tell, they, they, they swear by it, you know, and, and it is magical in a certain way, but when things happen like that to you, uh, then you begin to believe. It's like when I grew up, I used to play a trumpet, and that's where the trumpet thing came from. Oh, right. And, but um, I used to hang around with older guys, you know, uh, and so a lot of them used to. Uh, they were into real blues, you know, and I was just making this transition from rock and roll, uh, you know, and, and stuff like that. And 
So I really, even though I hung around with him, I really didn't understand what I was listening to. I liked it, but I didn't understand it. It wasn't until I got older, you know, and had to go through some of those narratives and stories that these people sung about that I learned to appreciate them, you know. And I remember, because my grandmother was very church-going, uh, a friend of mine had this car, uh, this Chevy, it was a 53 Chevy or something like that, Chevrolet, like 52 or something. And kids used to, like, fix them up, you know, paint them and do all these kinds of have them painted and put a name on them. Well, this guy, Walter, put, put the name of the, uh, 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 a nickname that Robert Johnson took up uh, uh, called the Devil's Son-in-Law. And he painted, oh. he painted that name on his car. And I was really uh, kind of nervous about riding in that car because of that. Yeah. <laughs> because, you know, and I didn't want my grandmother to know I was in a car that called the Devil's Son-in-Law, you know. And so sure. there, was all, there was all these things that uh, uh, I was experiencing. And, and, and I didn't really appreciate them. I had a, a negative effect earlier in my life. But later on, I began to appreciate them, uh, you know, uh, what it all meant and, and how they came about. And one of the things that happened, particularly more I mean, recent in a sense, like in the late 70s and 80s, you know, this whole crack thing came about, you know, it just devastated the community. And these kids were doing some awful things to each other. And I was, I was trying to find an answer. Why, why is this taking place now in such violent ways? And uh, one of the things that I, I appreciate growing up was I had this foundation given to me or, or shared with these older people who had these values that were instilled in them. And... Uh, uh, who, um, hold on a second, I'm sorry, this will be off the of problem. Uh, who um, had, uh, you know, uh, you know, we was, I mean, for example, like, it was always a community, you spoke of the community. Uh, I would go on, on uh, Friday and Thursday nights, they had the fight of the week, you know, Don Dunphy and the fight of the week. And I'd go to a gas station on the corner, and uh, there were these people, older people sitting around listening to on these crates and everything, the fight of the week, Floyd Patterson, and Mario Hans, and all these people. Uh, you know, as I mentioned, Floyd Patterson, and, and uh, ooh, uh, what was the guy? Uh, I can't think of the other light middleweight boxer who, they call him the Mongoose. Anyway. Uh, we we listen to these fights, you know, and they would tell stories and all this stuff. Yeah, I would be there listening, and they would they would allow me to sit there and just be a part of it. And the heck is calling me? Uh, I just don't just have to wait. <laughs> sorry, I'm sorry about that. No problem. And so, yes, no problem. Yeah, but it it was like, um, uh, what was the, uh, the, the the painter that did those paintings like? Americana, and then we got the barbershop with the kid cutting hair and stuff oh, like that. Uh, Norman Rockwell. Yeah, Norman Rockwell. It was, it was sort of a Norman Rockwell kind of experience, you know, where we were at the gas station and there's all these older people, you know, talking about things that I, I could only imagine and dream of, dream of. And one of the things that made me interested in the South, even though I was born there but didn't really live there, you know, was the fact that they created this world that seems so vivid and so 
interesting and magical, you know. I've always looked at the South and that, that thing about going down home as something uh, that, you know, those people that lived there and, and, and managed to get through had a, had a world of experience, you know, that, that, I, I, that I missed and I wish I had somehow taken part in, but not, not, the, not the bad stuff and all that. Sure. But the, the interesting stuff, you know, um, the things that they talked about. Anyway, um, so it, 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 you know, it all came about wanting to, to relive, uh, you know, what adults had created in my mind on this world. A world sure. family because everybody uh, that that I knew that uh, who lived there they they were the ones that made it had a connection with the South in a way and they always told stories about so but the, but the but the irony of it is that like my cousin who was from the South and and he had to leave because he would have ended up being hung or killed somebody or something like that. he said he'd never go back but anyway um, uh, it was. That kind of, of world that attracted me. And, and I mentioned that I jumped around and I should have cleared, it, cleared up what I meant by the crack situation, how it devastated the community. And you wonder how these people come to this, and how these kids come to, to, to this horrible um, world and attitude. And one of the things I think that happened with me was, and, and like in the case that I grew up with, was that. There was this storytelling and folklore that tried to, to, to give you an idea of what the world is about, you know, and, and, and interpret it in a different way. And so that I think, and, and I looked around and I said, you know, maybe that's what's missing in this culture today, in this, in, in this uh, moment, is that, is that there wasn't enough mystical storytelling or magical realism, whatever you want to put it, you know. Uh, oh, yeah, magical realism, definitely. Yeah. And, 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 and so I try to, to uh, create that and, and, and take a simple story of a middle class family, um, families being torn apart by, you know, modernization to some extent, being, you know, wanting these, this material things. Because uh, we used to, and to our detriment and, and, and the thing that hurts most, we had these stereotypes, you know, if you, you know, wanted to be mid rich or middle class, you know, you were like um, being, what's the word I used to say? Uh, you know, like you didn't want to be black, let's say, you know. Uh, you, uh, and you were a sellout in many ways, you know. So so we had we had this problem with progress and, 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 and wanting material things, you know, because a lot of people were still interested in the Bible so when you don't want to be rich, I mean, I know my uh, my grandmother used to tell us, you know, uh, you don't want to be rich. Those people have it so hard. <laughs> yeah, and that's that's something that you definitely touched upon in the wedding. Yeah, um, yeah. Oh, the one. Uh, yeah, because brother, you know, we all had these false notions, like these romantic notions about the poor, and then these distortions about middle class. You know, uh, and that and that and that hurt us and could. I remember going to uh, college, and a guy I made friends with, uh, he 
said to me, you know, he wanted to be a millionaire by the time he's 21, you know. Mm. And that was a shock to me. I, I never thought of, because when I came out, it was like money was evil, you know. And, and, and so you carry that with you all the time, you know, or you know, you don't want to get rich, you don't want to do this, you know. You just want a simple life and, and that sort of thing. And, and I think that's the difference of what happened with, with Junior and his brother, our uh, big brother, who wanted uh, things. He, he, met, he sort of married this middle-class girl who had all of these desires and wishes and material thoughts, you know. And his brother, uh, 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 the Carl Lumley plays, uh, you know, wanted to be like his father and, and, and raise a family right and that sort of thing. So there, there was a lot of conflict, I think, uh, in, 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 in my community because I used to romanticize, you know, these guys that worked in construction, you know, and uh, plaster and masonry and building houses and, and stone wall because they were like men to me. You know, they had right. these muscles and everything, and, and I was really a, sort of a puny person when I was small. You know, I, when I was a young teenager, you know, I couldn't, I, I don't, I didn't weigh much of anything, you know, and, and like these were men, you know, right. doing all these things and going to the store and buying. And the film, yeah. I'm sorry, and the film really does touch on masculinity and what, what it means to be a man and it does really hit those different levels. And, and, and that's one of the things that was, you know, responsibility thing and, 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 and kill or sheep is the same thing. I mean, Stan, you know, he didn't have, you know, a lot of material things and money and this kind of stuff and ambition, but, but he did the right thing. You know, he raised his kids, he was there for his kids and things like that, you know. Yeah. And, uh, and so, I mean, that, and, and to, to me, I mean, that's, if you can do that, you know, you've done your job, you know. Um, you know, it's not going to, you know, you're not going to get the, the beautiful girl at the end or win the lottery or that kind of stuff. What you're going to do is you're going to struggle on and, and survive. And and if you can raise a family right and you can grow up in the right atmosphere and do the right thing, then... You know, you, 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 you've done what you're supposed to do, you know. And so, so I guess in certain ways, that's a part of, you know, my vision and, and, and I guess themes of a lot of my, my stuff I do. So, yeah. You know, yeah. I wanted to, I wanted to go back to like the conversation that uh, you and Scott were just having, you know, a few minutes ago about just like, specific superstitions, beliefs, mythologies within different communities, like what Scott was giving his example and you were talking about yours. When you were making to sleep with anger, were you at all ever conscious, concerned about, you know, like certain other people, like if, you know, someone who was Korean or if someone who was Jewish or someone, if they saw to sleep with anger, there were certain nuances that, that they wouldn't get, like before making the film, were you at all concerned about that or, or that, that wasn't even a thought? Was that uh it it was uh it wasn't until it was sort of imposed upon me, like when you know, you get these producers, you know, who sure. um saying, you know, we were you know, people understand this realm, you know, and I don't know if they're gonna understand these symbols and, and folklore things. And and so, you know, and, and, and partly you can understand because if anything comes in the way of the, the audience 
holding their attention, then they're out of the film, you know. So if they have to ask, well, what does that mean? What does that mean? You know, or this or that, um, it 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 kind of like destroys or, or or I wouldn't say the continuity, but it, it the, the 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 disbelief, you know, you're taken out of the movie and, and back into the real world, and you want to maintain that that seduction, and so that that was. Because there were a lot more things, believe me, I could have put in, and I did. I had to take it out because we had a test screen, and, and you can see people say, "What is that? You know, what does that mean? You know, all this kind of stuff." Sure. And uh, so that's a, a, a problem with the fact that we're so segregated in this country, you know, and unaware of of other people's values and their history, and, and you know, and and, and and their narratives. But Hollywood is just one of the reasons for making these films is because he wanted to tell. Our narrative, you know, present a, a different picture of reality and, and, and storytelling, and, and so yeah, that came into in, into play. Um, well, is this you too know, much enough? To almost challenge what you were saying, sorry, I think. No, no, I was saying to almost challenge what you're saying. I think the beauty now is when you see a movie and you're into it, because no matter what, if even if you don't get the nuances of to see but anger. It's still a movie that can draw you in. So I feel like nowadays, if someone were to see it and go like, what is that? What is that? You have Google, Wikipedia, all these websites, all these things yeah. to go to after you see the movie. So it's like you enjoy the movie on this like surface level. But then it's like, I feel like nowadays people are just like, I don't know what that meant. So let me look it up. And then they like the movie e e even more. But I feel like, like, cause even then, just, just if to take it to race for a second, when this movie came out, still the majority of say film critics were white. So to even write about, they wouldn't even, even if they're great with words and have a great understanding of the language of film, there's a lot of specific cultural things that they wouldn't get back then. So there's like a whole new batch of writings on To Kill, on, on uh, to Sleep With Anger from people like my, myself or just someone who's black, who came from, whose family came from the South, went to Cal, and went to California or other cities who kind of understood the smaller things in the film, you know, that, that, that others did, did, didn't get. So I'm not sure if you're aware of that, but that's definitely kind of a, a that's part of the resurgence of To See With Anger is that there's this whole new audience of people who are now Googling things and looking up, oh, what, what, like, what did, what did this mean? Like, what, what is Danny Glover's character talking about? Like, what is that about? So it's like, you know, yeah, uh, I think that's great. Yeah, I, I, I didn't think of that, you know, but one of the things that uh, inhibited a lot of, uh, this I mean, creative part and using particular themes that black people experience. I mean, just a simple thing. I used to raise pigeons when I was a kid. Mm -hmm. I used to raise show, show birds, you might say. And these are tumblers and rollers. I don't know if you have you ever raised pigeons or anything about pigeons? No. I don't know a lot about pigeons. I, I, I don't know. Well, I mean, when I was a kid, I, mean, I, ghost dog. I used to, uh, to, to save my money and buy these birds. You know, like I used to have a paper lot and buy these birds. They were like, you know, $150 or $200 a piece, you know, these, these showbirds. And uh, and I never thought about the money, but I would sell papers, do whatever, and save up bottle, different bottles, and we get five cents a bottle, turn them in. So anyway, so I spent a lot of years. <laughs> I should have been studying and reading, but I spent a lot of years watching the skies and pigeons and things like that. And uh, mm -hmm. so uh, I wanted to put this experience of pigeons in my film. And listen, 
to, to, to sleep with anger. And so this, it's a written scene in there, and, and they describe these birds tumbling, rolling. And, and so, uh, you know, you have to go to this completion bomb person, and you have to explain to them everything about the film that they don't know, and how are you going to do it. Yeah. Well, the guy comes and says, well, how are you going to do these, what about these pigeons you have? I said, what, what, what do you mean, what about it? Well, how are you going to make them roll and do all this sort of thing? I said, it's in the genes. They do it automatically. You know, uh, it's like uh, you throw them up. Some, some of these birds can't even fly because they keep tumbling so much. I said, mm. it's, it's like, well, how are you going to do it? I said, it's like telling someone, asking someone, well, well how's a dog going to bark? He's born that way. Right, you know, yeah. It's in his genes, whatever it is. You don't have to make him buy He'll do it on his own if he's wrong. Yeah, how, does, how does a dolphin swim? Yeah. yeah. And you keep telling him. It's so obvious to you because you've been around pigeons and everything. And you just keep right. saying, well, they just do it. And that's what you end up doing, you know, because anything beyond that is ridiculous, you know. And he said, they do it. They do it. You know, they throw them up in the air, they fly in the tumble, particularly when they fly around your house, you know. And they can get, they can fly, they can turn, I mean, you can hardly see them about the size of your fingernail, you know, they can fly so high, and then they start tumbling all the way down. And so I kept trying to explain it to this guy, to, 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 to almost a point, I was about to say, forget about the pigeons, I won't put them in there, just forget about it. And and so he just sort of, like, gave up. <laughs> I mean, trying to convince him that these birds do that sort of thing. And so the, the, the birds are in the film, but those kind of images that you want to create, uh, that's obvious to you. It's like pulling teeth in the side. And so, and so they determine, you know, the, the look of the film, the subs, you know, the content of logic, the image, what it looks like. And it's really unfair in many ways. Because, you know, if, if you don't, if you're not aware of anything, just, you know, but on one hand, you can understand they have to guarantee that whatever you put in the film, it has to be able, to, you have to be able to do it. So I understand that. But at the same time, you know, all this new technology and stuff like that, and, and, and you know, and uh, all this, uh, what could computer uh, uh, graphics and stuff like that, if you can build a city, and now it's, I yeah. guess, it's no big deal. But then, just, just those common, ordinary images are difficult, you know, to try yeah. to get in the film. Anyway. Yeah. And if I, if I may ask a couple of questions, because you're talking about traditions and things where people might be like, oh, I don't know. I don't know. Uh, there is a there is a scene in the movie that I love. And in towards the end of the movie, uh, there's a there's a character named Okra. Yeah. Who's trying to talk to the matriarch of the family uh -huh. and he gives her some greens yeah. Now, salt meat. <laughs> is, yeah. So is that so? Is giving giving someone that you like some greens? What? Where does? Is there a tradition of that, or did you come up with it? It's one of those things that that it's the little things in the movie, the sprezzatura, mm -hmm. that really get that really does it for me. So I was curious about this particular scene. Well, it, it uh, was you know part of it was something. It was based on a true situation. Uh, there's this uh, lady that used to, to 
do this preschool thing for my kids, uh, babysit, not uh, babysit, but watch them when they were, before they were able to go to school in kindergarten. So we would drop them, my kids off at her house and, uh, and, and, um, she was from a, a mixed marriage. I mean, she had a mixed marriage situation. But she's her husband was this black guy in uh, some, uh, what do you call that? Uh, uh, Masons or something. You know, what, 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 uh, uh, you know, a part of this gale, what it was or something. Right, because they're in like a fraternal group in the movie. Yeah. And so... Because it... Yeah, they're Lodge brothers. Yes, yes, Lodge brothers. And so, um, so her husband had just died, and uh, so we were talking, and uh, and she was telling me how that one of the Lodge members came to her and was proposing to her and saying, "Well, you know, I'm almost basically what Oprah says in the film," <laughs> you know? hmm. and uh, and so a lot of that stuff is based on things that. Uh, uh, you've seen and heard or witnessed and things like that, and you try to put it in the film and make sense out of it, you know, to some extent. It's kind of, you know, for me, it's it's always like, it's, it was a, a, sort of a critical look at some things, you know, like in a humorous way, but I thought it was outrageous in a way, but I, <laughs> hmm. but I was, I'll tell you how that, how that, uh, goes on in real life as well. And I witnessed that just not too long ago. Uh, where I, I went to my neighbor's funeral, a sad case that was. But one of the guys in my film, is a, he's a womanizer, you know, a very interesting guy. And so there was all these young girls uh, at the at the, the funeral. Uh, and uh, he was busy trying to hit on everyone he could, you know. <laughs> <laughs> And I was like mm. trying to, trying to, you know, like indicate and lighten up a bit, man. You know, this, this funeral, these guys uh, died related to these girls. I mean, you know, so, but, but they seemed to, you know, not mind, you know, they were like trying to seem like encouraging in certain ways, you know, so, <laughs> you know. There's no rest for the weary at And so, anyway, it happens, you know. Um, and that's the thing I think you would want to look for. All these really odd things that happen that, that, that's a part of life and, and make color, gives color to everything. And I don't know. Yeah. So. No, I, I used to listen to a lot of stories, you know, and, and my neighborhood and everything. And run to certain things. I, I wanted to be a, 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 a photojournalist at one point. And uh, I used to work in a magazine pool at the downtown library and look at all these magazines and photojournals and things. And so I had this notion that that's what I wanted to do. But I, I, I didn't have a camera at one point. And then when I got a camera, I, I tried doing that and that last all but a day. <laughs> so. Oh. No, what happened was I got this 35 millimeter camera, and so I uh, first thing I did was jumped in my VW van and went around and I saw this case where this lady had uh, overdosed. This young girl had overdosed. Oh. And so I pulled up 
and there's all these police around and everything. I got my camera out. I started snapping pictures and things. Like, and and well, I was surprised that they didn't bother me at the police. They just I was walking in and out of all these, you know, like, you know, like these. I was not that old or not that, but I was just kind of kind of like lightweight and small. And so I was able to walk among these people and, and, and all these guns and things on people's hips and all this kind of junk and uh, snapping pictures. And I was waiting for him any moment to tell me, like, get out of here. You know, that never happened. And so right. I was um, standing under a tree reloading. And it was only this kind of apartment complex that was like one room and cheap and stuff. And she was lying in the apartment in the doorway. And so there was this other lady who lived in the apartments, a um, very attractive lady, but she had cerebral palsy or something. And so she had always walked with and needing these crutches and everything. So she was, I saw her down the block coming, you know, hobbling up to me in, in my direction. And then uh, she stopped right in front of me and she said, uh, why, why, why are you taking pictures? In a very kind, sweet way. And, and I had said something stupid like, oh, it, it's just for fun, which was the most stupid thing to say, you know, at that moment. And I realized it was too late that I already left in my mouth and everything. And, but she was very kind. She didn't, didn't get insulting or anything. And she just said, but even of tragedies, and I just realized who I was at the time. Packed up everything and went about my business. <laughs> Forget about that. And that was the end of a photojournalistic kind of attitude. Right. It's hard. It makes you hard. I mean, so. Right. But even even to sleep with anger has like these morality plays and this sort these questions of of these sort of things and um, yeah, what was it like with working with the actors for this movie and um, getting this story together? Well, it was a big difference because before that I was working with non actors and I thought that was the best of both worlds because I had this really notion of. You know, you see films by Bresson and people like that and some other folks who use not actors and the neorealists and things like that. Well, he, he's one of my favorite, Bresson. I mean, he, yeah. he, after his first two films, you know, he started working with the non-actors. That's what, yeah, Bresson's my guy. He, he's yeah. one of my favorites. Yeah. yeah. And, 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 and so a lot of these guys, I, you know, uh, I just did a, a, a limited amount of research and, and they're very superficial. And this notion about being having non-actors and developing people that, you know, uh, play the part very well because they are the part, you know, in a way. That's what, that's their life. And so I took that up very seriously. And uh, so, uh, and I say, so I use a lot of people in my neighborhood and um, a lot of non-actors and they didn't know, and part of the reason I made the film and shot in the neighborhood where I did it and used kids to um, help to work on the film, did sound and help the lighting and stuff and care stuff. Because um, I wanted to demystify filmmaking in the community, you know, and, and show little young kids that, that look, if you can turn a hi fi on, you can do sound and all this. Stuff. And um, so, the, and the friends of mine I grew up with in the film, uh, one of my friends who, who, who kept getting sick, and and so it stopped shooting and to, you know, postpone everything. and. And uh, so one day he was just getting sick and sick. And so he told me he couldn't come, come the next day or whatever it was. And so 
uh, and his excuse was, uh, oh, can you get uh, a, a, someone else to, to come in and take his place? Now, we already shot a couple of days of film on him. Right. And which which movie is this? The, I'm sorry. Uh, the uh, Killer Sheep. Okay. Uh, and and right. so uh, I'm, I'm like stunned because it's like, you know, if you have any notion of film, you know you can't just change actors in, in the middle of a scene, you know. It's not, I, I keep telling them, it's not like a football game. You know, you can change quarterbacks and all this kind of stuff. And, yeah. You know, and, and the down continues, you know, um, seamlessly. And so I realized that these guys don't have an idea what, what this is about. And uh, so, but, you know, you sort of typecast and, and, and you get what you can get. And sometimes it's not all that, you know, good or great, but, you know, it's, uh, you try to be consistent, you know, and, right. uh, and to tell a, a story about their life, you know, which is not seen too often on, this, you know, on the screen. And in t- To Sleep With Anger, you got professional actors. Yes, you had to. <laughs> because, you know, someone put up your money and stuff like that. You go to a commission bond. They want to make sure you got all the key people in the right place and all that. And everyone who had made films, several films, you know, so, that, so they can guarantee and ensure that, that you have enough talented people in there to finish a film. So that's one of the, the, the good and the bad things. Because one of the things that... Uh, uh, when you have professional actors, you don't spend much time having to explain or argue about showing up. You know, they know that five minutes late or half a day or whatever is late, you can destroy the film, you know, and cause all sorts of problems. So that was good working on that hand. But with, with not actors or friends of mine, you have a certain ease, you know. Um, it's a give and take, but, I, but working with actors, you can see what they can do immediately, you know. Mm-hmm. And that's the best part about it, you know, and working with people who are professional. They come to the set with an attitude, professional. And uh, but sometimes an actor who thinks he wants to be a director or whatever it is, they can be a nightmare. I've had that, too. And so, uh, I mean, there's examples of, of everything that can happen. I mean, you know? uh, but what oh, you want to oh, do in both worlds is have good people oh. who are considerate and professional, professional. Uh, you know, I, I mean, I worked with James O. Jones and Lynn Redgrave. They were, you know, and all, a lot of the people on the Sleep with Anger and other films are just wonderful, you know. But I had one. Oh, yeah, in, in Annihilation of Fish with James Earl Jones. Yeah. yeah. I mean, yeah, I mean, but then you get one that can make you want to quit film altogether. Oh, man. Uh, yeah. And I had that. I, and I said, God, never again. I, it, it feels like, though, by the time you got to To Sleep With Anger, it was a natural progression because it was like killer sheep. You know, it seemed like mostly non-professional actors. But some of those same folks, a couple of those folks showed up in my brother's wedding and then you had professional actors there like Asai Richardson. And then from there, oh, yeah. we get to, you know, To Sleep With Anger where you carried over with a guy like Asai Richardson and other And then you have like, you know, Danny yeah. Glover, like post-Lethal Weapon, uh-huh. you know. Dan, Dan, Danny Glover, who I'm sure you know, so, sold the film to to some degree. Outside oh, of yeah. being the the central character, just having his name, you know, oh, you know yes. late '80s, early '90s, you know, Dan, Dan, Danny yeah. Glover. What I what I think a lot of people don't realize too is like to this day, Danny Glover will act in or attach his name to so many films 
and like filmmakers of color or or for, like it's not even just like you know like your work but just you know like yeah. Abdurrahman uh, Sisasko the the African filmmaker yeah. he was one of the producers on Lucretia Martel Zama like he he's always kind of I think he's always kind of had that home base of like yeah I'm I'm this A list star. <clears throat> But I'm gonna work. I'm, I'm gonna work. You know, like across the board. He's always. He's never yeah. shied away from smaller projects, no matter how big he was. So. Yeah, and I think too. He's been very helpful. He knows of his, you know, his his how he can really help someone on a film. Needed needed people. I mean, needed. Uh, I mean, directors and things who need uh, to get over need to have a, a name who the, the producers or whoever it is can say, okay, this is a film now. Because before, taking a sleep and around trying to get financing, they never looked at it as a film until Danny Clover came aboard. And then they started calling it a film, you know. But before that, it was like, what is this thing? You know, so, yeah. no, they can, I mean, certain, to certain, and, I'm, and, and I, would, I wish more people of that clout would do that because they can really, you know, help a filmmaker get on the map, you know, and make more films and hire more people. Uh, Agreed. Yeah. You know, speaking, so speaking, not not actually on the subject of of Danny Glover, I I, like just straight out was, is he someone who like, when someone presents to you, because it's been brought up many times, it's like Danny Glover into Sleep with Anger, he's the devil. Is it that clear cut or is it just like, he's just like a virus that's now inserted into this family to test the family strength? Or is he actually, yeah. you know, like how how is what what's what's what, what's behind all that? If, if if you don't mind getting into that, not a mind. In fact, I'm glad you brought it up actually, oh. because you know, he's based on a folklore character, and folklore characters they they, they like a chameleon. They change depending on the circumstances. Um, you know, they can be good or they can be bad or different, whatever it is. But it's always some story that, that comes about because of their involvement in the story, or, or, or in a story. Uh, like, you know, uh, you know, like Bro Rabbit, you know, he's comic kind of a kid, but, but, you know, he tr- he's a trickster. Sure. And he tricks these people who kind of in a, throw him in a place where he's at home in, you know. And they think they're doing him harm, but he's actually coming back home, you know, and that's a but Danny's character is, if you, if you really examine him and look at him, you can't, he doesn't, he, you can't point at anything he did that was destructive in a way in the film. In fact, he brought a, a lot of things to light and made people realize um, if they're real or not. In, in a sense that, you know, uh, you know he... You know the Banana McGee's character and and and, and uh, Junior, uh, for example. Um, you know they do things for the poor. You know, you know, and uh, yeah. but they're in the bedroom. In the bedroom, and Danny comes in and puts his picture in with the rest of the pictures of the babies. And, they, and he asks her. He says, "Well, I understand you and your husband have feed the poor." He says, "Yeah, we feed them, but they're getting more and more, and we just can't feed them all." And he says, well, you really can't the way you're doing it. You're just nickel and dime in the situation. You have to dedicate yourself to saving one person thoroughly, you know, and getting them out and on his feet. And that means adopting a person and, and really devoting all your time and effort to money to get this person to a whole different level. Well, you know, they, they don't mind giving money, doling it out, 
pennies invested or things like that. As long as it's at a distance in a certain way. But when you have to commit yourself to sharing a, a, a house with a person and that and, and making sure that the money I make is, is part of it and he's going to get a part of that, whatever it is, you know, and I'm going to make sure that that he's going to survive. And all this They're not willing to do that, go go that last mile. You know, and he brings that up to to, to her. It's, it, it pains her because she realizes that, yeah, you're right, but, you know, I can't trust uh, uh, some stranger in the house with my daughter, you know. Uh, just, I don't know if you, it, it, it doesn't necessarily make that an excuse, but that's the reality. The thing is, and it's in contrast with Mary Alice's character, and the thing about Mary Alice's character, she's supposed to be this angelic person who trusts everyone. And she says, at one point, when Hattie, you know, Ethel Ada tells her, you ought to get rid of you know, Harry, because Harry's just an evil person. And she says, I can't really do anything because he hasn't done anything. I mean, I can't just throw a person just out on hearsay, John. So, even though he has his reputation, oh, wow. yeah. but right. it's yeah. because of her vulnerability and her acceptance of people being good that she actually brings this evil onto the family in many ways by not being critical, by not looking at people as who they can possibly be, you know. And, and, and so, um, in, in a certain way, if you look at Danny's character, or Harry Man's character, he, he's, he, he, he came in and he's always told the truth and, 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 and in many ways he hasn't deceived anyone because when he first comes to the house and they said, Harry, put your clothes down and come and stay as long as you want. And he says something like, sure you, you, you're not going to regret it and sure that... that it's okay. She said, "Oh yeah, you know, give him back home, and all that sort of thing. I trust you." And and he says, "You sure now?" And uh, and he makes these comments that he has this something in his background that could be interpreted as bad or evil. But right. But you know, and he says when she says it in, in the kitchen when Hattie goes up and says he's he's just evil, and and he. When he goes to the sink and she says, uh, Hattie, uh, I mean, Hattie says you're bad or whatever it is. So he says, well, you know who I am. And I've always told you uh, who I was. And he says, she says, but I want to know you're a friend or not. She says, he says, well, look, when you when you made, what did he say now? I forget. When you made me feel half of a man, what do you think the other half is? You know, and it leaves that whole thing open to, all sorts of interpretations, you know. So he's he's been very honest and straightforward. So a lot of people, when they look at Harry, I've had uh, been in a situation where people argue, you know, he's really a good person, you know, because he brings this chaos he brings, he brings the family together more than anything, and, you know. And so he's a complicated character in that way, like any trickster, a full flow character can be, depends on how you present him. And he's never... Right, he's... I'm sorry, go ahead. Yeah, because he's not... He he more is uh, a force that um, gets people to do what they want to or don't want to. He, you're because you're right. He doesn't necessarily do anything, but his presence uh, is a is a catalyst to all of these other things happening yeah. and people acting how they are or and 
But at the end of the day, he does bring the family back together, and whether he is a force of good or evil, and I have I have thoughts and I have theories. But as as we as we had to uh, wrap wrap this this up, um, what are some important takeaways that you want people to take from revisiting this movie? You know, which I think everyone should, you know. It's 30 years old and it's still very, it still feels current and is definitely worth a revisit. I, I would ask and hope that audience will realize that independent filmmakers, particularly black filmmakers, call it, really need the support of an audience who can say, you know, I like certain kinds of I like these films, you know, I like to see more of them, you know. This other stuff is just it's entertaining and stuff like that. It's good, anyway. but I think at the day we need something more. We need something that reminds us of these people who people like these people who went through slavery, sacrificed, and made these, these uh, uh, changed the world in their ways, you know, and and um, you know stuff that I I. Like to say that, and I mentioned it before, Marcus. That you know, I I, I have I'm claustrophobic in a way, not real real claustrophobic, but, but enough. And, and I, when I look at these slave ships and how these people were packed in these lower decks like sardines, can't move. I mean that that unnerves me. And really, I really feel you know really stressed and everything. I could. It affects me emotionally. Of course. I, and so, but what I do, though, is the people that went through this, I really take my hat off to them. And I know that somewhere in that middle passage, some distant relative of mine experienced that. And because of that, and how he endured that, and, and, that I'm here today, you know. Sure. And, 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 oh. and so I yeah. always wow. look at... Uh, that is a debt that I owe, you know, in any way. And I, and I just hope I can be as strong as, you know, can hide my fears and phobias uh, or deal with them like that, you know. So, uh, I mean, I, and, and I, I think that, you know, I, I think we owe the past something, you know, even to you know, read the slave narratives and things like that. But to be honest with, 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 with who they were and, and Make it make us know, make people know that there were these people, exceptional people, that got us here, um, you know, and suffered a great deal for it. And we owe them, you know, not necessarily watching, you know, Monday Night Football or things like that, but actually participating in and uh, where, you know, you know, they got hung for voting. You know things like that, you know, sure. and and we have to look at these guys trying to disenfranchise us and, 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 and keep us from voting, starting all over again. You know, so we, you know, I just say, you know, we have to be very vigilant. And, and I think that's what films, you know, all of somehow or another may not be directly saying that, but somehow or another, when at the end of the day, you feel that this is what you got, this this sense of. You know, yeah. I'm supposed to do my best to, to get us to the next evolution of period well, in life. I, I think you have. I mean, I think your films, 
and just to sleep with anger in general is a great, you know, gift, whatever word you want to use for your ancestors, because it all kind of relates back to them. And just throughout this conversation, you have slaves that were brought over here in these slave ships, and then they were made to work, and then they were set free. I'm using air quotes, but they settled, made a life for themselves in the South, and then they migrated to California, and those, and then became stories like killer sheet my brother's wedding to sleep with anger it, it, it's all it's all a connection like so all those ancestors you speak of you know evolved into the characters in in your film to be quite honest so it's like long before this conversation long before this decade i mean you've already done your part in in yeah. in, 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 in my humble opinion so thank you i believe yeah. that you've you are you've given us so many gifts and something that 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 is very aware and alive in this conversation and something that I think about all the time is this idea that we got here that, you know, there, there's this, there's this song lyric from this uh, artist, the streets where he says uh, for billions of years, since the outset of time, every single one of your ancestors has survived. Every single person on your mom and dad's side successfully looked after and passed on to you life. What are the chances of that like? Yeah. It comes to me once in a while. And everywhere I tell folk, it gets the best smile. Yeah. And that this is something that I was brought to think about in this conversation with you. And I'm, I'm so appreciative and so blessed to have this conversation with you today. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Thank you. No, thank you. Thank you. Thank <laughs> you.